Hi, hi, and welcome back to Literally Heinous. We have a special guest on today, another member of Fishbowl, Ali. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing so good now that we're chatting a bit. Good. I know. Well, so Ali and I were not in Fishbowl together. And obviously, if you know me, my college improv team, Fishbowl, is like very integral to my entire personality, my identity, like my everything. Um, Definitely I peaked, but like that doesn't mean that I'm not like pursuing happiness again. I just know it'll never be matched. So when Ali and I first met in February, um, it was just like instant connection because we just have this sacred bond. The girls who get it, get it. And the girls who don't, don't. And honestly, I feel sorry for them. Ali, I wanted Ali to be on this episode specifically where we talk about the idol and Sam Levinson because Ali is a really like hip kind of person. So will you explain like your schooling and your background and everything? Yeah. So it's just really hard. You know, I am a hip diva. So thank you for mentioning that part. It's sort of a part of what I do. Um, I'm a... Um, getting my master's degree in women's gender and sexuality studies at the moment and sort of the research that I specialize in is in pop culture. So yeah, I found a way to like make my job be talking about like Twitter feuds and like discussing the best like shitty reality TV and the, you know, the the most dramatic uh, edgy dramas. That's like kind of what I talk about for my job. Yeah. So like what kind of pop culture like did you grow grow up on? Like what were what was your like early introduction to pop? It's so okay. It's gonna like make no sense, but bear with, okay? I come from a melting pot of a family. This this should be like indicative of what the United States says they think it means. But I'll tell you, you'll see. Um, I had a lot of weird different um, references. So my dad was always listening to Arab music. And I know that's not pop culture. But I just became interested in like non, I guess, non-popular mainstream music pretty early on. But then Mm -hmm. I got into like fun queer stuff. Like edgy queer, like alt music. So pop culture there, little queer music moment. But the big, you know, the big thing that I've sort of, the thing that I do for my job, the thing that I, you know, love to write about and talk about um, is like shitty stuff, stuff that society says is not worth our time to talk about and think about. So like reality TV, I love reality TV, comedy, when it gets grotesque a little, um, I feel like comedy is a place where we talk about a lot of political things. And sometimes it's messy. And I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, Reality TV, comedy, and then like teen dramas. And so okay. specifically teen dramas, because I was a little pretty little liars girly. I was, okay. I wasn't a gossip girl girly, but because mm-hmm. my mom, like, for some reason was like, that show is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> but the pretty little liars, she was like, I don't she know. She was okay with it. So did you read the books, pretty little liars, or did you watch the show? That is a funny question. I wanted to read the book so bad. I wanted to, but I was afraid. I low-key was like, I would be outing myself to all of these people. 
So I was just thinking about this this morning, but I have like a clear, distinct memory of reading Pretty Little Liars when I was in sixth grade and I would go into my bedroom closet and like turn off the light and get a flashlight and read the book in the closet because I was so afraid of my parents seeing me read Pretty Little Liars, which is like looking back so absurd because first of all, like it looked so sketchy. Like if they were to come in and me just like crawl out of my closet, like what were you doing in there? Like I at least could have like hidden, like had another book like nearby. And also like reading is reading. Like it wasn't 50 shades of gray. Like I don't even think my parents would have taken the time to look it up. They were pretty lazy fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, so teen shows, I think that, I mean, there's always going to be an interest in like teen shows as opposed to like, and I think that's why with like Euphoria, a lot of people are like, it's so uncomfortable watching something about high schoolers. But like, why is all the best media about high school? I know. I, it's so strange. I feel like there is a sort of like, because it's so taboo is what makes mm-hmm. it so, it's so shocking. And that shock, yeah. it creates like a spectator, like a spectacle. And everyone wants yeah. to tune in and see, is it as bad as people are saying on Twitter? You know? Yeah. It works. Yeah. So with the idol, so the idol obviously came out on Sunday. So this is Sam Levinson's other kind of brainchild. Well, really it's like the weekend's brainchild. Yeah. So the weekend able Tessa Faye, is that how you pronounce his last name? I think. I think so. So this show was Abel's like brainchild. Like he came up with it. So in June 2021, the weekend, he announced that he would be creating, executive producing, co-writing this drama series uh, for HBO with his creative collaborator, Reza Fahim, and Sam Levinson, who was the creator of Euphoria. So Sam Levinson, okay, walk me through what was your experience with Euphoria, and then like I will tell you mine. Sure. Okay. So immediately, it did not catch on for me. It really didn't, but I saw the way it resonated with people online. And so I gave Mm -hmm. it a rewatch like while season two was happening and I fell in love. I fell in love. And I, um, I think it's because I started with the pandemic specials where it was just an intimate diner conversation between two people struggling with like drug misuse disorders. And then like the therapy session with Hunter Schaefer. I thought those were so cool. Yeah. I actually watched Euphoria season one, like as it was coming out in summer 2019. I know I was an OG. I remember because I was interning in Detroit for the company that I work for now. And I like remember this clear as day, like my boyfriend, he was out of town for a weekend and like my roommate was out of town. So I was in this big apartment alone and like I'm on Twitter and people are like talking about Euphoria because I was like really on stand Twitter because I was like the height of my Ariana Grande obsession People were talking about Euphoria and I like I was hooked like from first episode and I remember being like, where the fuck is the next episode? And I was waiting like week to week for it to come out and no one was really talking about it like a few people were and it didn't blow up until like a full year later, a full year after it had come out like on TikTok. Yeah. And just like with quarantine, like people being at home and then there was like the TikTok trend to like this song from Euphoria and people would like film themselves like like falling on their bed and then coming back up with like the makeup on. And that's when like the Euphoria makeup was really big and people were like, try it at home during COVID and like watching Euphoria. 
And then I became like re-obsessed because I was, so I like watched it again because everyone else was talking about it. And when season two came out, there was just so much hype around it. Like the hype around season two was insane because like it came out in February, 2022. So this was like a full two and a half years after season one, all of these delays. And then this was after Zendaya had won the Emmy. Mm -hmm. So but at this point, Euphoria is critically acclaimed. Like Zendaya has the Emmy, and their own stars like kind of start rising up, like Sydney Sweeney, Hunter Schaefer, Jacob Elordi. So then it becomes like an ensemble cast. Yeah. When before that, it was like a bunch of nobodies in Zendaya. When season two came out, me and my roommate were seated. Mm-hmm. Eight fifty nine p.m. We would order like pizza or pad thai. Phones on do not disturb eyes glued to the TV, like would not speak a word. Like it was like Bible study. And if I had to miss an episode, like, cause I was traveling or whatever, I like, I couldn't go on my phone. because, Like I couldn't go on Twitter. I couldn't go on TikTok. I could not because the spoilers would be everywhere. It was a cultural reset. Everyone, it, like, it brought us together, right? Like the pandemic was so weird anyways. Yeah. And we were just all on Twitter, you know, yeah. right after Euphoria Night, just sort of like, what is going on? I did the same Euphoria thing season night. two. The same thing season two. Yeah. I know. That was kind of a catalyst for me starting my podcast too, is after my roommate and I would watch the episodes, I was like genuinely like, we need to re- do recaps because we would have the most like intense conversations and dissect everything. And that's when I like really first started thinking about like, God, I wish I had like a channel or I wish I had like something to talk about this because I just have so many thoughts. And I was obsessed. Like I had pretty minimal complaints about season two and it really frustrated me like how much negativity there was around it and like kind of the lack of media literacy from everyone watching it. Like they would get, like if something was brought up in one episode in the next episode, it wasn't brought up again. People would like lose their mind about like how bad the writing is. But it's like, if you just give it a sec, it'll come back in a few episodes. People, it, it is a little like, it's interesting, right? I feel like people mm-hmm. are in like a social media mindset of how they're like expecting traditional media to work a little bit. Like the plot needs to be boom, 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 boom all the time. And it doesn't really leave space for like artistic, creative expression if we're expecting like to be like constantly like stimulated or like constantly like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I will say Euphoria was good at that. Um, But I feel like there were those moments where it was just like, yeah, like we're not, we're not focusing on this climax from the other episode. There's so many other things we have to address too. And you're probably going to be grateful for it because they just made this, the whole plot better and stronger. I don't know. Yeah. I think with like, shows like succession where it's a really thick plot and it takes kind of a mature audience member like i am too dumb for succession so my boyfriend and i were saying like when the last season was coming on i was saying like oh we should do recaps like you and me like we should do recaps on lit hain and after the first episode i'm like huh what who like i have no idea what's going on so that idea was scrapped. But like with Succession, like there's all these little subplots and sometimes they don't get brought back. But then at like the last episode, like everything comes out. And God, Euphoria. I mean, just I think my favorite part about Euphoria is the backstories. Yeah. Like with 
a Cal Jacobs backstory, like with him and like Derek, like I still think about that. And that was definitely my favorite part of the show. And then just the cast that it gives us and just like the visual beauty. It's funny you mentioned that low key because I, when I was in my undergrad, I wrote my thesis on Euphoria and I actually didn't know how to address that scene at all. So I didn't talk about really? it. And I, I mentioned it too. I mentioned in my paper, I think, I don't know if that was in the finalized version that ended up like being approved by OSU, but I was, I said something along the lines of like, I know that this is an important scene and I know people want to talk about it, but I don't know how I feel about it yet. Really? Yeah. So um, part of me thinks it's adorable because it shows us that people aren't just like born evil or bad. And I think that's mm-hmm. helpful especially like for people who want to believe that you know people can redeem themselves and that like if we're like anti-prison or anti you know if we're talking about abolition and there's been movements there recently I'm just thinking like you know is it maybe harmful to think of a person as just being bad and I feel the same way about our characters in the stories we watch too so I think it's good to like humanize him a little but I'm still just like he's so bad he's so bad but this it's the society that made him that way I guess yeah but then just for me I'm always it's just a character yeah like is that so I always think that when people start talking about like Cassie's such a bad person like she like how dare her be your favorite character because like she blamed Rue's drug addiction for like when she outed her and Nate. And I'm like, it's just a show. So maybe like I'm the one with bad media literacy. I guess I just, I'm just a person like I just like to be entertained. Yeah, I like watching beautiful people do crazy things and like, that's good enough for me. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I think that's so- totally valid. I mean, when I'm thinking of like, the way I approach it and that's just because it's got it's like my job you know like I yeah that's my thing and I kind of like really enjoy it as I like dissect it a little I think about like what what is this saying about society or how is this a reflection of social power in some way yeah and so I can't turn that off that part of my brain um but it is I mean it's valid that like especially for euphoria we don't really relate to all of those characters and it's yeah. easy to like create a little distance and be like you know like, they're just characters. I just know that for some people, like, some of the representation in Euphoria was really important. And so mm-hmm. when it changed dramatically in season two, I know some people felt a little, like, damn. I thought, yeah. like, I know Kat specifically, her sort mm-hmm. of fading away, that really harmed, yeah. like, a, a dignified representation of, you know, people of size, kind of. So, yeah. you know, it's different. It, I don't know. But I also think art is bad. Like art is imperfect and it should be. And now we're having a combo. Now we're I talking know. about it. Yeah. But yeah, it is. That is true. And it was really unfortunate with Kat because her like so many people like loved her and like related to her and felt like she was the best character. And then her character got completely like this weird storyline right. in season two and then like totally written out. And I don't know if that also says, like, well, why are people, like, getting so attached to a character? And then is that, like, insensitive of me to say? No. I don't know. I It's, like, that line of, like, how do we, like, teach people that, like, 
you can't expect any media representation to like be perfect or yeah. like the whole thing. Hollywood is inherently like a little, you know, a little corrupt. So if we're going to expect like something perfect or like perfectly ethical or perfectly like activist or progressive, it's just impossible. And yeah, you're just going to never enjoy that art. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, yeah. And then I guess like going back to like the cow thing, like what interested me about that is like, there's so many stories like that of like men that are like sexually repressed when they're like kids or teenagers and then they just shove it down and shove it down. And then it like comes out to be, and then it just like manifests in like really creepy and unhealthy ways, which is like what happened with Cal. So I don't know, I guess it's just like interesting to think about like how many other like creeps there are out there and like, how did they become like that? Probably because they weren't allowed to express themselves when they were younger. So they've like had to hide their whole lives. It's like kind of crazy. And like, it happens all the time with like these really straight, like macho guys that like you think you know them, but really like they have some freak ass interests. Yeah. It's really scary with some straight men because I'm like, wow, we just view the world and fundamentally, ooh, mm-hmm. wow, you don't think about the way, I. when I walk in public, I'm like, hmm, what's going on? How am I being perceived yeah. a little bit? Just to like, you know, make sure, just to be safe. And when I see men sometimes like have that like effortless, yeah. just macho-ness and confidence, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, like to be a man, you know, like, to be a man, you know how men are like walking and then they'll just spit on the ground with no regard to people walking in the opposite direction. None. And you hear it. It's audible. It's disgusting. That makes me feral, like absolutely feral. And I can think about like three instances where that's happened, where I'm literally walking on a sidewalk and then there's a man like walking like about to like cross paths with me and he like spits where I'm about to walk like on the sidewalk at least lean over to the grass it's I mean that's accountability (laughs) yeah and I've said something like I've given looks and then their whole like they just get startled and they're like oh my god and it's like they didn't even realize that they did it Mm -hmm. and I'm like you're so unself-aware that you can just like engage in this like guttural like bodily fluid without like without any regard to the people around you like I can't I don't even like sneezing in front of people like I don't like being gross like I and men just like don't even think about that and we just went through a pandemic I'm seeing this today you know I'm seeing this now and it's so different like just a spit of spittle is not the same as it used to be Yeah. And then like coming home from the Taylor Swift concert, like a bunch of people were packing onto this one train and like there was, it was standing room only on this train. And there's, um, two like train seats, like facing each other, like one, two and one, two facing each other. And it's a girlfriend like sitting on that one side. She's all like hunched over, leaning against the window, like her legs out. And then there's a guy putting his feet up on the second seat, man spreading, And so between the two of them, they're taking up four seats because they're both like sleeping. And then my friend, because she's also a bitch like me, like we tap them. We're like, hey, like, can we sit here? And they just kind of like sleepily like shuffle over. 
And the man is still like putting his feet up on my friend's seat and then like man spreading in front of me. So like my legs are like towards the aisle. And I was just like, God, men are so stupid. And it's like, a, it's very much like a, we're all here. We all paid about a similar amount yeah. too. And you still think for some reason you are. Like, oh, cause you're tired. Like, oh, you're tired. Like we're tired too. We were all at the same concert. <laughs> you're tired. We're tired. I think we're all oh, tired. Yeah, I think we're all tired. Um, I actually like, don't ever say that because like justice for Victoria Justice. You don't know. I have. What is the Victoria? What 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 justice needs to be granted to Victoria Justice? <laughs> you know, like wait, were you saying like I think we all yeah, do that? Yeah, like the the you know I think we from? all sing. Yeah, yeah. Like the video, like when Victoria Justice like said that like 13 years ago it is like haunted her like people still bully her to this day and ariana grande has like commented on people saying it like shut the fuck up oh, no she hates like it. ariana grande has said something like victoria justice has spoken out about it she's like i still can't post anything without people commenting that so that's why like i don't say it anymore darn i didn't know that okay i'm gonna try not to say it either but that it's i hate to say it it's a little funny but it's mean no, it like is funny, but it's like I feel because it that video like created a whole narrative that kind of like derailed Victoria Justice's career. I know because everyone was saying like she's the reason why Victoria's actually got canceled or something, and that's not fair. Yeah. Anyways, so Sam Levinson Gould. Just kidding. Sam Levinson. He is the son of Je of Barry Levinson, who's a movie director. He directed like a few pretty prominent movies in like the 80s and 90s have you seen rain man yeah yeah so he directed rain man which talk about what something that would get canceled in today's yeah. day and age like i watched it recently and i was like this was okay <laughs> um right. oh my god because it's yeah it's basically just is who plays like the son or the like is it Dustin Hoffman who plays like the special needs brother and then like Tom Cruise and it's like Tom Cruise has to take like his special needs brother like under his wing yep. but like Tom Cruise is like really mean to him like and also like Dustin Hoffman is not he's like actively playing like a mentally handicapped person that would not fly today no it was good, but like in the same way that where I'm kind of sitting there, like I feel like I shouldn't be liking this movie. So he directed that in Wag the Dog, which I had to watch it for one of my journalism classes. It was like a pretty good movie. It's like about like media and politics um, and just a couple other movies. So nothing like super, super crazy. But Sam Levinson is a Nepo baby, as we call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he is like the father of Euphoria, which obviously like is a great show, undeniable, but like he has always, one of the biggest complaints about Euphoria is like all the nudity and all the sex and like people debating like, is it even necessary? And then the fact that they're like supposed to be in high school. So like in a way, it can be like kind of felt like you're watching child pornography almost. Yeah, it's almost like a loophole to it in a way. Yeah, it is like a loophole. And it's in the sake of like, you know, the excuse is, well, they're adults, but they're just pretending to be teenagers. That's not better to me. <laughs> like, those are both yeah. bad things. 
It is just uncomfortable to watch these really graphic sex and rape scenes. Like there's like sodomy, like unconsensual sodomy, like the child rape with like um, Jules, Jules and Nate's dad. So it's all around just like an uncomfortable watch and it's really dark, but that does not stop it from being fully addictive. Like it has, like we mentioned earlier, it has just produced like so like it's given so much of pop culture it's given us so many celebrities and like so much to like feast on and like super highly anticipated right so when i first heard about the idol i was lit like i was pumped yeah. because i was like fuck yeah like the weekend actually i didn't really care about the weekend that much but i'm always like intrigued sam levinson and then like lily rose depp who you know she i i've I have no like allegiance to her, but she's one of those people that's just like so pretty. Like I will enjoy watching her do anything. Yeah. She's a, she's got that pretty privilege on lock. She knows how to swipe that card. Okay. Yeah. She's beautiful. So I was excited. And then I also just enjoy like celebrity stuff in general. Like I love shows about celebrities and shows about pop stars because like I like that stuff in real life. So I like watching caricatures of it. Yeah. Um, so it was ordered to series in 2021 and then originally this woman named Amy Simetz was supposed to be the director. So she shoots like 80% of the show. So the show's like pretty much done. And then in April of 2022, so like a little over a year ago, she like abruptly left the show. So then, uh, in a lot of people, there's some reports that say that, the weekend objected to the direction of the show. And you have to remember, like, this is his brainchild. This is his money. He's funding it. Like, this is his show. Like, he started it. So he objected to the direction of the show. One report said that he said that it was heading into too much of a female perspective and he didn't like how his character was portrayed because he was supposed to play this, like, cult leader that, like, the pop star Lily Rose Depp, Jocelyn plays like they kind of fall in love but like I think the original storyline is that it just wasn't like it was focusing more on like her background and her perspective and like he didn't like his role in it so then Sam took over so Sam Levinson took over and rewrote reshot and recasted like pretty much the entire show because like 80% of it was done um so they Abandon like the original approach to the story and then make it depict like a love story with heavier emphasis on sexual content and nudity. And what I hated was in like the teaser trailers when it said from the sick and twisted minds of The Weeknd and Sam Levinson. I'm just like, oh, it was so cringe, like to dub yourself as something that it's like giving yourself a nickname. I know. Let us W that. It's not cool. Yeah, like, it's just not cool to do it yourself. Like, I am not anti, like, dark stuff, twisted stuff. Like, I would say, like, Jillian Flynn. She's, like, yeah. the sick and twisted, you know, like, gone girl, sharp objects. But, like, if she were to call herself that, I'm like, oh, so you know what you're doing. Like, it's almost cooler when, like, you put out art and you just, like, you let people receive it. Like, don't, like... Ugh, it was weird. I know. So, like, just by labeling that, like, introing the show as that, it's like, okay, this is what they're going for. Like, they, the whole point of the show becomes, like, 
sick and twisted and like dark and he's like oh you thought euphoria was bad like i'm gonna give you something crazier and isn't that just the the strangest approach because everyone was trying to sort of explain with euphoria at least from my perspective like people were coming from a place of we like this show we want it to be better you know we want it to get better and like stay you know effective and like it's funny how he kind of doubled down He's like, you, yeah. the one criticism you guys gave me, well, I'm going to take it to a whole other level. And to me, that says there's an ability to listen there. There's like an ego yeah. thing there. And God bless. I mean, he's the one, he's in the power, so I can't really act like, you know, he's not going to do something he doesn't want to. And the same thing with The weekend, right? Like, if it's his yeah. money, it's his baby. It's just unfortunate that the complaint was that it was going in too much of a female perspective because Mm -hmm. what I had felt was so fun about that trailer was it felt like it was directly um, having a conversation with the Britney free Britney stuff and the Britney Spears stuff. And I almost, I mean, maybe, maybe a lot of us set ourselves up for failure with this show or setting our, you know, these unattainable expectations, but yeah, I low key kind of thought it was going to be more intentional and compassionate to her than we were um, going to be shown from that trailer. I thought they were going to flip our expectations um, a little bit more. But it's episode yeah. one, right? Like, I hate to be that yeah. girl, but one episode? I love that we're already having a conversation about it, but let's see. Of course. And I'm I'm going to keep watching. Oh, like, yeah. I'll probably, like, I'll watch the whole thing. Like, I don't really care. Um But yeah, I think like what you said, like there was a lot of excitement originally because like Euphoria is like a million years between seasons. So we're like, okay, like Sam Levinson has a show coming out with this kind of like aloof Nepo baby, Lily Rose Depp. Like she's not very like, she's not in your face. She's not like a Hailey Bieber. Like we don't really know a lot about her. Like that's why I was excited to see her. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, cool. Like this is going to be good. So then a Rolling Stone piece comes out, a scathing article from Rolling Stone comes out this past March and that completely like flips the narrative. Like for anyone that was like looking forward to the show, because I think there was like, and you know, it's hard to like have hype around something that hasn't really come out yet. I like un- when it's so far out. Right. So this, this Rolling Stone piece comes out and it has like 13 sources that basically all say something along the lines of like the vibe that was on the set when the original director left and Sam took over was that like really toxic and Sam only cared about like sexual content and the show basically turned into like rape torture porn. And of course that's like the headline that everyone clings, clings onto. Um, and just people saying that like everything was rewritten, like people were fired, like just some of the content was just completely like only focusing on sex. Right. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. Lily Rose Depp did put out a statement and she said that Sam was the best director she's ever worked with and never felt more supported or respected. So there's a lot of like conflicting information in there. Um, but that definitely like totally changed the narrative. And then now like, Everyone is saying, like, don't watch this show. Don't hate watch this show. Like, if you want to watch it, like, stream it illegally so that it doesn't get renewed for a second season. Like, people are calling for, like, it to be pulled. 
I think that I would say that censorship of any kind is always just like a bit, it is a bit much. I feel like, cause that's just the easiest solution. Like the best way to combat the fears that we have about like the idol, like planting these bad seeds. It, the best way to handle that is to have conversations with children, like teenagers who might be interacting with this and young adults who were afraid might not like, be thinking like maybe thinking what they're seeing is like glamorous and in a good way and not in a satirical or bad way and so it's like how is that it's tough to blame the show itself I almost feel like in general like we're not very good about talking about art I think I feel like that's why we struggle online sometimes on social media and there's so much fighting and bickering and yeah I think that we have a hard time having like open discussions about media but it but I guess it works to create a bit of a polarizing effect right like yeah now Twitter every day you know it's been trending and it's now the most streamed TV show or or, um yeah it is and it has been for the past however many you know days and so all of that to say like there's these scandals and this Rolling Stones article but it does seem to like set up like the whole nation to want to sit down and watch this show because now we're like, what's going on? Yeah. I think that, okay. I'm a firm believer in no publicity is bad publicity. Completely. So I think that this Rolling Stone article, like maybe it made a lot of people like hate the show, but it did wonders for getting people interested because I think if the Rolling Stone piece hadn't have come out, The people that would have watched it, you know, like the Euphoria fans, like the people like our age, like 20s and teens, they would have watched it and just said like, oh, this is really bad. Yeah. And people would have just come to that opinion on their own. And then like it would have, that would have like echoed. Like the critics would have come out, like the fans would have come out and everyone would be like, this show is bad. So then like the lay people, like it's just as a ripple effect. So then like nobody would watch it. But now like with this piece coming out, like everyone's talking about it and everyone's been talking about it for like a month and it's like all anyone can talk about. And it also like it has a pretty star studded cast too. Yeah. Like so each cast member is obviously like posting about it and that reaches like more and more and more fans. So like there's no way that this show couldn't be popular. Like if any like the Rolling Stone piece just got reached more people because now it's like, well, I'm curious now. I, like, how bad is it? I think that that dead ass was a marketing thing. Like, that had to have been so intentional because it happened so much in advance. Like, I feel like it happened just enough time to ignite the entire internet. And then, mm-hmm. like, we get it. And it's sort of served to us on a platter. And the reason why I think this is all a little more, like, set up than not, like, conspiracy brain... Like, yeah. whoa, what's about, what am I about to say? I'll tell you. Um, I feel like because Sam Levinson, once he joined and once The weekend had more control and they had to stall and spend millions and millions more, like $20 million more, mm-hmm. this is now like a humongous investment. And I think share, like yeah. it felt really meta a little bit. Like it yes. genuinely feels like when they're talking about Joss, they're talking about the show. Yeah. And I do think that like they needed a return on that investment, that 54 or 57 million dollars that went into the production yeah. of just season 1. 
it's sort of like, of course, the marketing is going to take a more complicated and maybe more expensive approach. Yeah, I can see that. I don't because when I read the Rolling Stone article, which is long and thorough and has a lot of sources, like it's a very well written piece. I it didn't come off to me like a marketing play because Mm. I don't know why. I mean, I guess like anything could happen. Um, which is also like wag the dog. Like this is literally the movie that like Sam Levinson's dad directed, like to wag the dog is when like the less powerful entity, like usually like the government or like whatever, like controls what the media says, like you're wagging the dog, like you're, I don't know. So like, maybe it is like crazier than we think. Um, but like, I don't know. I don't really think it is. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like, I'm not one of those people that's like, this is PR. (laughs) Like, I just – because I kind of just take things for, like, what they are. And, like, I don't know. And I can't imagine why Sam would want to – and then – but it's, like, these sources, like, Rolling Stone, like, wouldn't make up the sources. I don't know. Like, I believe that there's genuinely people on the set that, like, had those thoughts and had those experiences. But there's also people that, like, had positive things to say about it. Like, the cast is good. The cast is really good. I'm obsessed with Rachel Sinnott. Yes. She carries. She carries. She does carry. I know her shoulders hurt. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. And then it's interesting that, like, Dan Levy is in it, too. But I actually, I think it's interesting that there are so many queer supporting actors that seem to have no real, really anything going on outside of their support for Joss. So I'm wondering, I don't know. I don't have anything specific on Dan himself, but like just in general, that there's sort of a queer star studded cast here. Troy Savon, um, Talia's um, actress is a queer, sort of a queer actress, a trans actress. So I'm, I'm intrigued, but also I'm like, what's going on? It is a little odd because yeah, like the cast is really, yeah, like you said, it's a pretty like gay supporting cast, and then Lily Rose Depp is gay herself. I did like not she's know dating that. a woman. <gasps> yeah, she like just said that like she her relationship just came public with like zero seven zero. It's like a rapper. I don't know. Oh. Um, and Rachel Sinnott is obviously like gay adjacent, like gay and Jewish adjacent, yes. even though like he's not actually, but like she is. Um, so I'm kind of like inclined to believe that like if all of these people are like assumingly progressive, then like maybe they didn't feel some type of way about the show, but it's also, you can't really project someone's like morals onto them just because like they are queer. Yeah. But like, what were your thoughts on the show? Like overall or on the episode overall? I feel that it's definitely taking an artsy approach. So I appreciate like taking a risk, even if it's a swing and a miss moment. Um, I feel like there's a lot of potential to talk about like the pressures we place onto women, the pressures we place onto pop stars and influencers in general. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really liked sort of the, the ways in which they show like the expectation of Joss becoming a bit of a machine to produce music and, and to just appeal to people. Like I thought that was a fun metaphor for just how we pressure women to, you know, be caretakers and to be mothers and to just be like, just be cool and enjoyable. And sort of whenever they're, whenever women aren't, it's, you know, that's when we have the sexism and the misogyny. So 
I think what they're trying to do could be potentially exciting if they give us more insight into what, you know, Joss is thinking. Because yeah. it doesn't really, it feels like it's a show about her, but not really a show about her. It's a show about how Joss becomes a pop star. Yeah. And so I want to know more of what's up here for her to be so, you know, a little, I don't know, a voyeuristic or like, you know, a little yeah. hypersexual. Is that what's going on there? I want to just know more. So I'm intrigued, but I'm side eye. That's how I'm that's how I'm feeling. Okay. ISE. Love it. <laughs> I am pretty similar. I like I thought like the show's like the first episode was really divided in like two halves. Like the first half was like this kind of like crisis management like because you know the leaked photo of her comes out and you have like all of these kind of like vultures like a publicist, an assistant, a choreographer, yeah. a reporter a manager, uh, like all these different people that are just like feeding off of like one person. And I am interested in learning more about that. Like I love seeing like behind the scenes of like what it's like to be a pop star, whatever. Cause my dream job has always been to be like a celebrity publicist mm. um, or like celebrity manager or like something like that, like something like celebrity adjacent. And it just feels like icky to watch cause it makes me feel for her. And I want to know, more of that. Yeah. Um, and then the second half of the show was like her in this club and like her love affair with like Tedros, which I cannot get over how heinous that name is. The name the she's real about the rat tail. There's just a oh lot. Oh my god. Like Tedros. Like what are you? Like a Guardians of the Galaxy character? Like he's butt ugly. The name is disgusting. And there's no way this like tiny little like flittering like pop star would like take uh i'll take the rat tail guy it's no. like ah it's a male need, like it's a male fantasy i'm like she, she it is a male fantasy all eyes are on her how is she in this club right now you know there was some there were some things that i think were breaking my reality a tiny bit and yeah it didn't like it didn't ruin it but it was just like even just the fact that she's into the weekend's character is a little like yeah. Joss. And I want to know, and okay, maybe I'm like judging too much because we've only seen one episode, but one, the thing that's the most captivating to me about Euphoria is the backstories, the characters' backstories. I love them all. And like, I love the narration element of Euphoria because it like immerses you. But we got no backstory about Jocelyn. Like we were told a little bit like, oh, she had a mental health break and like her mom died recently. So I don't know, like maybe we'll get it in later episodes, but I kind of don't think we will if the main gripe with the first right was that like it's too much on the female perspective. Right. That's Um, And that scares me a tiny bit because it's like, I think we see a little bit of behavior that if we were to see it through a you know, yeah. a woman's lens or a female gaze, you might think a little differently about what's going on. I think so too. So this show, the way that like I'm reacting to it reminds me of like how I feel with like Green Book or like The Help or The Blind Side where it's stories about like a person of color or a people of color or some kind of like minority group. But it if it's not told through the right lens, it feels uncomfortable to watch. Yes. It feels out like, of touch. It feels sometimes it can feel exploitative. 
when yeah because there's a weird like there's a weird like pornographic element to something that's like yeah makes white people feel progressive if that makes sense like sometimes I think that um movies that are about serious social issues you know that have like the stakes are already a little high for that type of representation anyways and when it sort of ends up being like a feel-good movie for you know white folks to feel as though there's like racial harmony in the world I'm like yeah if I'm watching a movie like a that's about like a black person or like it needs I it has to be directed by a black person or else like I won't believe it because I'm the whole time I'm like is this okay like the first time I was in middle school when the help came out and I like ate it up like I was like this is the best movie ever and then I rewatched it and yeah I'm like god this was like written by a white woman like directed by a white person and the whole like hero of the story is like Emma Stone like telling stories that weren't really hers to tell and yeah it's the same thing about like the blind side too and then like green book came out like in a more progressive time in 2019 and that's why everyone was like guffawed that it won best picture right so i think if you're going to tell a story and this isn't to say that like men can't write about women like obviously i think sam wrote rue like zendaya's character like beautifully but, like, it's uncomfortable watching, like, a woman be, like, sexual when it's written by a man. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, that's not how it is. Like, I think about Fleabag. Yeah. Like, a show that is very, like, sexual, salacious. But it's, like, it's it's written by a woman or, like, girls. Where, like, you can just tell. Like, it's, like, this is Made by and more for, accurate. you know, someone who understands, like, femininity or womanhood to an extent right yeah and that's why like the idol's uncomfortable to watch because it just feels like i'm watching sam's fantasies there's a movie called oh my gosh i mean this is a bad talk about a bad movie it's a horror movie and i think it's just called men or like man and it is just the strangest misunderstanding of what it's like being a woman in the world i mean he he -hmm. thinks he's doing a good thing the direct, I don't know the director's yeah. name, but he thinks he's doing a great thing. But everyone yeah. I know who's watched it has been like, actually, that's what men think it's like being a woman. I'm not sure yeah. if that is actually what it's like. And so I'm wondering, yeah. where were the women, you know, on the production and writing team? Were they replaced? Because we're seeing, yeah. we're seeing that, like, they kind of disagreed with the direction that the woman in some sort of creative control was trying to take it they didn't agree with it and then they sort of did their own thing Mm -hmm. so it's funny how we're seeing it so clearly like already episode one that yeah and i think there's like in recent years been a hyper awareness around men written by women like i remember my first wgss class that i took um my like fall semester freshman year and it's like I was living under a rock before I took that class. Because that was like in 2016. Like times were a little bit different back then. Yeah. And I remember learning what the male gaze is. And just like so many things made sense. And then like I realized that about myself. Like these things that I'm like constantly doing. And I still do them like all the time. I have this weird thing where I won't talk about like eating in front of men. Or I, it's like kind of fucked up. But like 
I don't like I will be the last person in the room to say that I'm hungry, even if like I'm right. starving. Like if there's a man present, like doesn't matter who the man is. Like I refuse to out myself as like being hungrier than a guy. I know it's like fucked up. I need to work on it. Um, but anyways, like there's been this and kind of like memes around, you know, like the manic pixie dream right. girl trope where now people are digging up these like relics of like the times where like men written by women. And then there's so many amazing people on TikTok that make fun of it. Like this girl, Delaney Rowe, who literally two times a month, someone random will text me. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. She's, you've definitely seen her. She has like dark hair and pale skin and she does these like POVs and she'll do like the girl at the laundromat like thinks you're obsessed with her and she's like playing around with the underwear and like snapping it <laughs> or something. And then, or it's one where it's like the manic pixie dream right. girl like goes grocery shopping and she's like, maybe you're a bag of chips or maybe you're crackers. I see. And she just like, I don't know. She's crazy. I love her. Yeah. 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 Like, and she exists to like help the man, you know, and it's like Zoe Deschanel yep. in 500 Days of Summer. Like that's like the quintessential example. And like a lot of those early 2000 movies where it's like these women that are literally written by men because- Men think that women like dance around in their underwear and like jump up and down like after a first date or like that. My other big thing is like when they're on their periods. Like, have you seen um, No Strings Attached? Oh, uh, with Natalie Portman and is that yeah? Okay, yep, yep, yep. Greta Gerwig. There's like a scene where like the Natalie Portman and Greta Gerwig are like on their periods and they're just like crying and watching the notebook and like gorge eating chocolate and like because it's so like effeminate, but like that does not happen. You really think women do that once a month? Right. Like nothing would ever get done. So like with all of this like awareness about women written by men and manic pixie dream girls it just brings a whole new lens to like women that are written by men and which is to say like it's it's fine yeah. like obviously like you can do it but it's just going to be like extra scrutinized i think that i'm i'm like i love that we're getting to that because it's like the tea is the reason why we care so much about how lily rose depp is being depicted is because we know that women are being watched all the time and yeah. so I do think we have to take a little bit of care when we're making art to be aware mm -hmm. of that, to just be aware that, you know, if you're making edgy content, own that. And I think they're trying to at least own that, right? But just yeah. be aware that we're going to be hypercritical because of the male gaze. We're going to be hypercritical yeah. because we, we see that you're operating and filming through the male gaze a little bit still. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know if it's going to get better, but I know it's going to bring us the best conversations. The I know. best conversations. Yeah. And like, I wonder too, like if this show were to exist and it wasn't Sam Levinson, like maybe it was like a new guy that like whatever, but because there's already been three years worth of conversations about him, like where actresses like Sydney Sweeney has even said like there were a few other nudity scenes, but I didn't think that they were necessary, so we cut them out. Right. And she didn't say like Sam forced me to like she just said there were other nudity scenes and like she asked them to be removed, which other people interpret and maybe that's accurate. Like, oh, Sam wanted her to be naked all the time and she felt so uncomfortable that whatever, whatever. And that could be true too. Yeah. I think that 
the reality is that a lot of actresses are put into those situations where like choice is a little blurry, right? Mm -hmm. It's like they did say, yes, they will do it. But they do know that if they say no, especially Sam Levinson, because there were some rumors that, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why Kat's character sort of faded away was just sort of arguments about where the character was going. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, take that little bit of gossip and with this grain of salt, right? But to just maybe say, this is probably happening for most up-and-coming actresses who it's their dream to perform. And so they maybe cross boundaries that they wouldn't want to otherwise, but it is the best Mm -hmm. financial decision. It's complicated. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it doesn't mean it is a, like a progressive thing either. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And like, I look at someone like Sydney Sweeney, who is A-list now, and she's so talented. And she wasn't like, she'd been acting a lot. Like she'd been around the block, like well before Euphoria, but she definitely blew up in Euphoria. And now she's like, kind of like a new Margot Robbie a little bit. Like, I feel like every few years there's a new like, you know, girl. gorgeous. And yeah, I mean, where it's like she could have said no, but does she have the clout to have a no nudity clause like how Zendaya has? I don't think she did until season two. And I don't think that's why she didn't stand up for herself until season two. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I hate that it is. I hate that that's the case. And I think that maybe a part of me, although, you know, Lily has done a good bit of acting too. You know, yeah. a part of me is a little like she she's probably got a lot of odds stacked against her with what yeah. happened with her father, you know, mm-hmm. just so recently. I feel like there was a lot of pressure for her to, like, succeed without her father's like, I don't know, like, sh- like being in her father's shadow or like despite all the awful controversy that, you know, occurred between him and Amber Heard. Yeah. Like, how can she forge a path? So I can even see how that choice is even more complicated. Um, Yeah. So I hope, I think the casting decision is really interesting because of that. So I hope they do something with it, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I think if Lily Rose wanted a no nudity contract, I don't think she would have been casted. Exactly. Because the weekend had a clear vision. Yeah. And I know it's probably to like critique patriarchy, but when it's coming from a creepy patriarchal yeah. tone, it just feels weird. And his song lyrics like are questionable too. Like just kind of Girl. like rapey, honestly. And like, it's like you put the two like worst guys together. Like obviously this is what's going to happen. <laughs> it's two bros. It's two dudes. And yeah, they just bounced ideas, and they were like, "Dude, that is the best idea," and they just did that for the whole season, probably. You know what I mean? Like, wow. Yeah, and so it makes me wonder, like, who do you think the target audience is? I think that HBO normally their target demo, at least when I was doing research on like Euphoria, their demo was something like sixteen to like thirty-five. I think. Like, their target demo that they want to reach for their, like, you know, premium scripted dramas, that is sort of who they cater to with the majority of their programming. Men or women or either? Both. It just depends on the show. There are some that are a little more 
oriented towards like masculine, like like as a, a version of masculinity and femininity that just like appeals and it works. Um, and I think that like uh, a lot of it is also teen dramas, which is even more interesting. Yeah. Like age wise, you know, we can see the gender demographics, but like there's really not a lot of content on HBO about old people other than content that appeals to like young people believing old people kind of suck like white lotus or succession we kind of hate the yeah. older people in those shows so yeah for the for the for the for the little young adults um and, I know. and the high schoolers yeah i always thought that euphoria was a really progressive show like when i was watching it in my isolated state like when yeah. i was first watching it i didn't have anyone to talk about it with no one was talking about it online it's like watching a tiktok with the comments off and you're like oh i guess i gotta form my own opinions now right like I always thought Euphoria to be really progressive, be- you know. I think that it is and it's not at the yeah. same time. I think the drug stuff is so progressive, like the the depiction of addiction, the depiction of like struggle. What parts did you really like? I know you talked about Cal a little, and I, I guess I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I I do want to know like what what really resonated, yeah. The, like, Jules storyline. Like, I'd never seen transgender representation like that ever before. Yeah. I think it's, like, I think any trans representation is important because of, like, also just how transphobic a lot of legislation has been. So I think you're right. And uh, I think you're right. Like, the the two things that I I sort of, um, I guess, praised the most in my undergraduate thesis was, like... uh, the depiction of like disability and addiction and also um, Jules's character and the rest I was critical of like the rest of it. I didn't say it was awful, but I do think that because Sam Levinson directs from a cisgender straight white point of view, he gets a lot. He like just, he just flops sometimes like with Rue, there could be more connection to police and how, and hot uh, medical racism or like, you know, with Jules, it is important to showcase that, you know, a lot of trans youth are victim to predatory people and men, but the stakes are just different for Sam because he doesn't get what it's like being a trans person. And so normalizing images like that, those triggering images, sometimes just like normalizes the act of it. And yeah, that's where sometimes I get nervous for the for the fan who views that and thinks like, oh, it's it's normal for me to also maybe seek that out. Because Jules yeah. consented, right? It just, the things are just so complicated. And that's why I love the show. Um, I'm just not sure that everyone watching it at home is having those like mind-breaking conversations that like, you know, you or, you know, or I during the pandemic were having. It was like a communal like thing. Yeah. And I, I just, my mind always goes to like that demo that group Mm -hmm. that sees it and doesn't think about it critically like it just it spooks me but that doesn't mean Levinson should not create edgy art I think he could just create it in a way that was less ambiguous like take a stance more be more clear that you're you know you're critiquing objectification that you're not objectifying Lily it's tough it's tough Yeah. And one more thing about the Jules element that I liked is that like Jules never in the show, like among her friends and in school faced any sort of like discrimination. And I also think it's refreshing to see like representation 
and just representation, like not always oppression. And like, it was refreshing to see like a group of people that like accepted Jules and like, it wasn't even like a main storyline. Right. Like I was, cause it normalized it in a way. And I think maybe other people seeing it can, when hopefully when they meet a transgender person, they'll be like, oh, well like this is normal because like it was fine on euphoria. Yeah. I, don't know. I do think there's a lot of trans joy on that show and it makes me super happy because it's like, I think this is what was happening to queer people when it was illegal to depict homosexuality in Hollywood. Like there used to be codes mm. up until like the sixties. And so it's like those little things, I know they mean so much. And so that's, and, and, and clearly, you know, the government and sort of Hollywood knew that. And that's why they were trying to prevent, you know, the filming of certain minority groups and during different historical periods. Cause it's like, they don't, they don't want to like humanize queer people all the time in American history and so it is nice that we're in a period of you know human history where we are seeing that because I don't think we've ever really seen that but it's imperfect because Sam didn't maybe I think Sam will never understand the trans experience and so no matter what if he has the majority control it's just never going to be exactly what we want it to be Totally. And that's why like there's an ego thing. Like if I were to write a movie or show and I were to have like characters of color or like queer people, I would immediately need co-writers and and, like, and that's why I wanted to do this episode with you specifically because I knew this was a controversial, touchy subject that I want to have this conversation with someone that's like educated and can speak to a different group that I can't. So that even when I'm wrong to be like corrected by someone, that's why you always need like another voice in the room. Yeah, completely. And, and that is, that's like the beauty of it. That's the beauty of like a show like Orange is the New Black. It's so funny that the weekend said pop culture is like a Trojan horse or pop music is a Trojan horse, because that is what the creators of Orange is the New Black said after they pitched it to Netflix, because they lied to Netflix. They did not tell them it was going to be this pro-lesbian, this pro-like, you know, anti like this really radical show. They sort of lied. And they kind of lied to us as viewers too. And so a part of me is like, is the show trying, like, is that that why this first episode was so awful? Is because they just really want us to tune in for the rest of it and see how it turns out. That's my, like, optimistic hope but Mm -hmm. girl we will have to see mr sam okay well we maybe we'll have to do weekly recaps stop wait i know because like if we're both watching it and like i'm just because we're gonna record this episode and it'll come out on june 12th and there's going to be a whole other episode out by then. Like, what if, like, something crazy happens in the show? So we will have to see. Yes. I'm excited. Um, yay. Well, thank you so, so, so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and just having, like, a really good conversation. And normalize having conversations, people. Like, it's okay to talk about, you know, edgy topics. And, like, even if you're not, like, fully educated, just, like, ask someone. And I'm sure Ali would be willing to supply any resources to anyone that's you know, has any questions about anything. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much, Ali, for coming on. And this is such a good conversation. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. This is like my bread and butter. I love just talking about stuff <laughs> and things. But um, 
also, yeah, I'll totally send out the syllabus. That'll be like the required readings for the students yes. next episode. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bye.